welcome to episode 603 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. That's right, I'm back this week. Unfortunately, without Richard, schedules were crazy this week. So uh, just a, a Josh solo episode this week. But we've got lots of good stuff to chat about, including some feedback, except it was really interesting feedback. So I want to wait until Richard is here. So we're going to push that off a week and read that piece of feedback next week. But if you'd like to send us some for a future episode, our email address is entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. So we're going to jump right into the video news. And the first story. This week comes from the Apple event. Yeah, kind of kind of wish we had Richard for this one too, but I think I've got this one covered. It's pretty simple. So there is a new Apple TV 4K. It has a new processor. It's got the A15 Bionic chip. And if my research is correct, that is the same processor that is inside of the iPhone 13 and 14. So you should be getting better performance out of that. They have also enabled HDR10+. Plus. This is a different HDR standard that is similar to Dolby Vision in that instead of just having one set of metadata or information for how your TV should display the HDR, HDR10 Plus works similar to Dolby Vision where that data can be provided on a frame-by-frame basis which means that it can be a lot more dynamic and just give you an overall better HDR video experience for any content that supports HDR10+. The new models also have double the storage of the old one. So the base model will have 64 gigs of storage and the higher end version will have 128 gigs of storage. The storage on an Apple TV really only matters if you're installing lots of games and apps. So I've never felt like storage is a great reason to pick the higher end one. But hold on, because there might be other reasons why you want to pay for the the pricier version of the new Apple TV 4K. Both versions of it have a new Wi-Fi chip in them that supports Wi-Fi 6E which is basically the newest consumer standard for Wi-Fi, which just means even faster and stronger, hopefully, Wi-Fi connection for your devices, which when you're streaming 4K, you want the best possible connection you can get. And if you have to go Wi-Fi, then Wi-Fi 6E is going to be your best bet. Now, here's where things start to get different. It's not just in storage. The the higher end model, the, the one with 128 gigs of storage, has a couple of other features that the lower end model doesn't. It has an Ethernet jack, which Wi-Fi 6E is great, but I always, always recommend that whenever possible, you should hardwire these devices to your network with an Ethernet jack because then you just don't have to worry about Wi-Fi signal. And it's not just, here's the thing. A lot of people think, well, my Apple TV or whatever your streaming device is, is close enough to the router. It'll be fine. It's not just about distance with Wi-Fi though. 
Wi-Fi networks have to deal with congestion. And as your Wi-Fi network also has to support your kids' Xbox, your spouse's PlayStation 5, your two other kids who are streaming YouTube on their phones and TikTok. And I mean, just think about all of the ways that Wi-Fi is being used in your house. And that congestion affects everything and will be probably most noticeable on your video streaming device. You don't want to have to face buffering and things like that. So whenever possible, absolutely plug your streaming devices in with an Ethernet cable. And in the Apple TV 4K situation, you're going to need a higher-end model to even have an Ethernet jack. The other big thing that the new Apple TV 4K supports, but only on the higher capacity option, is Thread. And you're like, what's Thread? I'm not knitting here. No, Thread is a new... Actually, it's not a new protocol. It is... It is a protocol for smart home communication that is used by the brand new Matter standard. And if you listen to Richard's other podcast, Home On, then you probably know about Matter. But it it is a new smart home technology standard that most of the big players have signed on to. Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, Google, Amazon, and many, many, many others. and it really does create a a much stronger ecosystem of universal compatibility. So the the fact that the Apple TV 4K has support for it and it's a plugged-in device means that the Apple TV 4K can act as the hub, if you will, of a smart home ecosystem using Matter. It also continues to support being the hub of your Apple HomeKit smart home ecosystem. That's been there for at least a couple of generations on the Apple TV, and it's still here on the brand new one. Now, there is one other update that both versions get, and that is the the new remote control. And you might be thinking, oh no, they made the remote control better with the last one. Don't tell me they changed it for the worse. No, just one small change. It now charges via USB-C. So Apple is finally seems to be fully getting on board with the USB standard for everything but iPhones at this point, I think. So you can now charge the wireless Siri remote via USB-C, which is what your iPads probably use now because they did roll out new iPads, but even the Air and the Pro iPads have been using USB-C for the last couple of generations. So. Lots to like here. A little bit of a grumbling here that uh, Ethernet and Thread is only on the higher capacity version. But one really, really great piece of news, and this is the part of it that surprised me the most. They cost less. When is the last time you remember Apple releasing a new generation of a device that actually costs less than the previous one? This is where I could use Richard. I can't think of a single Apple device where they've ever done that, but they are with the Apple TV 4K. The base model comes in $50 less than the previous generation. Now, it's still expensive. It's still one of the most expensive streaming devices on the market at $129 for that base model one. But even the top tier model costs less 
than what the older ones were. The the top tier model with 128 gigs of storage, the Ethernet jack, and thread for matter support will set you back $149. I don't think that's too bad. The Apple TV 4K is a really solid streaming box. And frankly, I'm kind of considering it for our house. I don't know that I really want to make the jump to an Apple TV from the from the Nvidia Shield, but getting a little tired of the Nvidia Shield and how old it is and I I do seem to be having more issues with it lately. I've had to reboot it a few times over the last couple of weeks and I shouldn't need to be rebooting a video streaming device regularly. I'm probably not actually going to get an Apple TV anytime soon, but man, especially at these prices, I would absolutely consider it. And if you're running an older Apple TV at home, this seems to be one that you should definitely consider looking to upgrade to. One other quick video story this week, and that is we had reported a few weeks ago that YouTube had started experimenting with putting 4K videos behind a paywall. YouTube offers a premium subscription service that they offer as a a single user subscription or a family plan. They both cost different amounts of money, but they're a lot. And for some users, when they tried to watch a 4K video, whether that was on a computer, in a web browser, in a mobile app, on a tablet, any of those, they would be greeted with a little thing on the 4K option that said they needed to be a YouTube premium subscriber. That made a lot of us a little nervous because most of us have 4K TVs at this point, and if you don't, you can almost guarantee that your next TV is going to be a 4K TV. It's hard to even find TVs that aren't 4K anymore, unless you're looking at very, very small televisions. So uh, YouTube is turning this off. The the There was a comment on Twitter. This is how we know uh, that it's somewhat official. But YouTube replied to someone on Twitter and said that they have fully turned off the experiment that was that was locking 4K content behind this premium subscription. So great news. I still want to be able to watch my 4K content. I wonder if they'll eventually do this for maybe 8K content, or maybe this experiment has just shown them that they can't lock resolution behind a premium subscription. The premium subscription as it stands now, its biggest benefit is you don't have to watch ads if you're paying for it. And that's a pretty big benefit. Like I, I don't want to minimize that, but the the cost I believe is is roughly $13 a month for a single user. And I think it's $18 a month for a family subscription. So it's not cheap to to have this access. All right, on to our gaming news this week, and there's a fair amount of it. So let's start with two related stories. The first one is a few weeks ago, we talked about the Logitech G Cloud Gaming handheld device uh, that it had been announced by Logitech. Well, it's out now, and so people have been able to review it. We're going to link to a review from The Verge, and there's not that much that feels all that surprising in their review. So this is 
As a reminder, in case you don't remember, the the Logitech G Cloud Gaming Handheld, and yes, that is the official name, is a device that looks like a Nintendo Switch. It's, you know, a six or seven inch tablet form factor with game controls built into the sides of it. So it, you know, the, the controls look a little bit more like an Xbox controller than the Switch does. But the the main goal of this device is to use it for cloud gaming. So connecting to services like Xbox Cloud Gaming or NVIDIA GeForce Now, or even uh, connecting to your local computer running on the same network, you can stream through the Steam application. It does also run Android though, and so you can download Android games to it and play them on it with without an internet connection. But for cloud gaming, you will obviously need an internet connection. This device has built-in Wi-Fi to, to do that. The reviews basically say the controls feel really good, really good. But one of the drawbacks to this device is that the processor that they stuck in this thing is basically a mid-range phone processor. So we're not talking the processor that's in the latest Google Pixel or the Samsung Galaxy 22 Ultra or anything like that. This is mid-range processor in in this device. And apparently that really shows when you try to play local Android games like Fortnite or Genshin Impact, two of the most popular mobile games that you can play on an Android device, to the point where those weren't a, a very good experience. The reviewer, on the other hand, said that when you are using it for the main thing that it's used, that it was created for, which is playing games through the cloud, if you have a really solid 5G Wi-Fi, 5 gig, sorry, I need to be specific there, 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi connection, then it works great. The The streaming works really well. You get a, a pretty low latency connection and you're kind of living the dream. The problem is that you're not always near great Wi-Fi, right? With a with a mobile console like this, you might think, oh, it'd be really nice to take this on the train or on the bus, just public transit in general, maybe in the backseat of an Uber. Well, if you you can do that if you want to tether this device to your phone's hotspot or something like that. But in general, that didn't work out very well for this reviewer. So there are some good things here. There are some bad things here. And the, maybe the biggest problem with it is this device This device costs $350. And so to pay $350 bucks for a device that is the form factor of a mobile device, but can really only be used in your house or your friend's house or something like that, and maybe in a hotel room, but definitely not on a plane and probably not in public transit. That's pretty limiting, and you aren't even going to have a very good experience with a lot of Android games unless they are games that don't require uh, really uh, high-performing devices. The other potential problem you could have with some of those Android games is that not all games will recognize the Logitech G Cloud's built-in controls, and at that point, then you've just got a a large phone screen that is hard to hold and you have to use on-screen controls and and that would be completely pointless you wouldn't want to do that at all so 
kind of mixed on the Logitech G Cloud gaming handheld, but it is available now for $350. But another device that's very similar to the Logitech G Cloud gaming handheld was announced this week by Razer. Razer is known for their high-end gaming laptops and lots of other gaming peripherals, and they've partnered with Verizon to make their own handheld Android-based cloud gaming device. It's called the Razer Edge. It's kind of surprising that Razer as a company has been around for over a decade and they've never had a device called Edge before, the Razer's Edge. Wonder why this one got to have that name. So what are the differences between the Edge from Razer and the Logitech device? The biggest ones are performance. Remember, this is Razer, a high-end gaming company, and they came to play with this device. It is a it has a high performance Qualcomm G3X Gen 1 processor in it. The 6.8 inch display uh, runs at 2400 by 1080 resolution. It is an OLED display with a refresh rate of 144 hertz. That's got to be a pretty nice looking display. It has 8 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage. It also has Wi-Fi 6E and a front-facing camera if you want to record yourself on Twitch while you're playing this, or because it is an Android device, you could also just be using it for other Android things like Zoom calls or or whatever other sort of video conferencing uh, apps that you might be using on an Android phone. And this device is a little bit different. It's actually just a tablet, a, a 6.8 inch Android tablet. And then it comes with a brand new version of the Kishi controller. I think that's how you pronounce it. K-I-S-H-I. I'm just going to call it Kishi. So it's the Kishi V2. And the the Kishi controller is a, a higher end version of uh, a a game controller that is effectively the two halves of a game controller that slide apart to allow you to put your phone in between them. And then it, it kind of uh, tightens up around the phone so that you end up with an experience that looks like a Nintendo Switch or 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 a Steam Deck or something like that but that the controller is completely detachable. They make these for regular phones also. This one is a little bit different. It has haptics, which you should basically interpret as rumble. It also has a headphone jack built in. This looks really nice. It looks like a very high-performing device. It's got a great screen on it. It's got the specs that you're looking for out of a high-end Android phone. And with that Wi-Fi 6E chipset in it, you can expect absolutely phenomenal Wi-Fi as long as you're within a good Wi-Fi network. So it should do cloud gaming really well. It should play local Android games really well, far better than that Logitech device would be my guess, but you're going to pay a little bit more for it. So that Logitech device was 350 bucks. Razer's Edge will launch in January for $400, but remember, I mentioned that they are also building this in conjunction with Verizon. So they're also going to be releasing a version of this that has a 5G cellular radio in it. So you could absolutely use this outside of your home as long as you are within 
Verizon's 5G network. And the commercials can say all they want, but these 5G networks still aren't anywhere near as large as the LTE networks that we've been using for a decade. But it is an option for you and might be worth checking out. However, we don't really know because we don't know how much that version is going to cost. I'm hopeful that it would only be $100 more, but Apple's event this week where they announced new iPads, their iPads with cellular radios in them now are almost $200 more than the Wi-Fi version. So if if this thing comes in at $600 for a 5G version, oh man, I don't know that I would be able to recommend that. You could get a really nice Steam Deck for that price, but 400 bucks for the Wi-Fi version, this is still a lot of money. You still really want to have a dedicated device for this when it, to, to to be willing to spend $400 on it because if you have a high-end Android phone, you've already got all of this. You know, you could drop 100 bucks on the Kishi controller and have pretty much the same experience except maybe not the haptics, but maybe that doesn't really matter that much, especially if you would be saving $300 and not having to carry two devices. The only other situation that I can think of where it really would be nice to have a separate device for this apart from your phone is if you need to look something up on your phone. Maybe you need to look through a guide or watch a YouTube video because you're stuck in a part of a game. Well, you would have to leave the game if you wanted to open up YouTube or a web browser on the, the edge to be able to do something like that. Is that worth 400 bucks? That's going to be entirely up to you. I'm not sure that, in fact, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't really be willing to spend 400 bucks on uh, on a device like this. I just don't do that much mobile gaming. But I, I don't know. Like Razer devices, they always get me. I don't own any but I am so attracted to these devices. So I I would want one, but I'm probably almost definitely not going to get one. But I will be very curious to hear if any of you are considering getting this. Now, a couple of quick Xbox stories. Xbox has rolled out the October update for consoles and for the mobile app. Quite a few smaller-ish things on the Xbox consoles themselves. Maybe the most important one, They've added on to HDMI's CEC controls and functionality to allow your Xbox to directly control your television volume. And this is without needing to use an extra remote control or IR blasters or anything like that. HDMI CEC is a a protocol that allows HDMI connected devices, which is what that cable is that connects your Xbox to your TV to communicate with each other. It's the thing that allows a lot of the devices that are hooked up to your TV to turn your TV on when you turn them on or to change the input on your TV when you turn them on. When it works, CEC is really nice. It just doesn't work all the time. I would bet that in most cases, this functionality will work just fine. It's not that complicated. So the the main thing here is if you're playing your Xbox and you have this uh, HDMI CEC enabled on your Xbox, 
and on your TV because it can be enabled or disabled in both places. So if you press the guide button on your Xbox and then go to the audio and music section of the guide, there's now a section on that screen that will allow you to mute the volume on your TV or turn it up or turn it down. It's not the kind of news that's going to, you know, rattle the world and make you ditch your PlayStation to go and buy an Xbox, but it is a nice feature to have. Another small nice feature to have is the ability to make it quiet, to silence it when you turn the thing off and on. I'm really surprised that this feature wasn't available when the new devices, the Xbox Series X and Series S launched almost two years ago, because the Xbox One had been able to do this for years. So if you're trying to be super stealth with your Xbox plane, now you can tell it to mute the startup sound and it won't go doodle-doo when you turn the Xbox on. They also renamed the power settings. I think they're really trying to make them more similar to the Windows words for these types of things, but I don't know that most Xbox gamers are really looking to compare it to the things that they might see on their PC, but maybe the justification for this is Xbox gamers might also be PC gamers, but if they're not and they only use a PC occasionally for work, then this might not really matter. Either way, it's not that big of a deal. The change here is that there are two options for how to control the power on your Xbox, and they're renaming them to Shutdown and Sleep. And they are better descriptions. Shutdown is the option that uses the least amount of power, but when you hear Shutdown, you would probably think that it's not using any power, and that's not true. It is still using a tiny amount of power, and that's so that it can be listening for things uh, and, and checking for things like system and game updates. So even in the shutdown mode, your Xbox can perform operating system updates and game updates and download games that you've recently purchased through uh, the website or the mobile app. Sleep, on the other hand, uh, offers most of those same features. In fact, all of those same features, but it uses a little bit more power. And the reason for that is because it starts up faster. So it doesn't fully shut down. So it basically just turns right on as soon as you press the power button. It's just like putting your laptop to sleep by closing the lid. You open the lid on your laptop and it wakes right up. But if you tell your Windows PC to shut down, then you're going to have to wait 30 seconds or so for it to fully boot up. And it's a similar experience with the Xbox. Shutdown mode consumes almost no power, but you will have to wait a few extra seconds for the machine to boot up. When they released that that version that they didn't call shutdown before, I tried it on my Xbox and it wasn't doing a great job of the background updates and things like that. So I stopped using it and went back to the sleep mode. They've probably improved it, so maybe I should try the shutdown option again just to see if it'll save a little bit more power. It saves you some money and it's better for the environment. The last update here worth mentioning is an update to the Xbox mobile app. If you're like me, you record a lot of clips of of what you're playing. And if you want to share them, you probably aren't typically looking to share the full 
length of the clip. It's probably just a smaller part. So now with the Xbox mobile app, it will have a built-in video trim feature. So you can open up the app, drag the sliders on the scrub bar to just uh, to to make the video start exactly where you want it and end exactly where you want it. So maybe you're only sending an eight second clip to your friends instead of a 30 second clip or even worse, you're not having to download the entire video and then trimming it in another video app to then export it and share it with all of your friends, which is what I've been doing. So I'm really looking forward to the new trim video feature in the Xbox mobile app. Last Xbox story is an interesting one. So as we all know, Xbox is attempting to acquire Activision Blizzard and Sony is doing everything in their power to prevent Xbox from (laughs) completing this acquisition. And so Microsoft has had to go to some fairly big extremes to plead their case to right now the UK's Competition and Market Authority, which is just called the CMA. And they're spilling the beans on a lot of things that I think Microsoft would probably prefer wasn't out there in the general public. In a lot of ways, they're basically trying to plead the case that Xbox is last place in many metrics in the video gaming space. So this couldn't possibly represent an anti-competitive monopoly. And obviously, PlayStation is trying to plead the opposite case. Along all of that, Microsoft, in their disclosure to the UK CMA, said that part of their big strategy in acquiring Activision Blizzard is to use Activision's foothold in mobile gaming so that Microsoft can build their own mobile gaming store. and. That would basically mean that on your Android phone, you would be able to install a separate store for getting games from Xbox. Sounds useful. Sounds like it could probably also be combined with the cloud game streaming functionality, but could also be used to just download regular mobile games to your phone, like Fortnite or Genshin Impact or Call of Duty Mobile, which would be the the most likely game that would end up inside of that store. I understand that Microsoft wants a piece of the pie when it comes to mobile gaming. They're basically non-existent in mobile gaming, especially from a revenue perspective. They don't have a way of of really making money there. I don't know how this strategy is going to work for them though. How many people are downloading third-party storefronts on their mobile device to buy games and other apps? Well, I can tell you how many are on iPhones, zero, because Apple doesn't allow it. But even on Android, where it's definitely a more open ecosystem, how many people are doing this? I have to think it's a small number. Maybe the Fortnite players, but Fortnite's an exception by far. For everything else, you're, you're <laughs> and I keep referencing Genshin Impact, it's a really popular mobile game, Call of Duty Mobile all of these games, you just download them from the Play Store. So I I think Xbox is going to have some trouble here with this strategy. I'm not exactly sure how well this is going to work out for them, but I'll be curious to see. It It's going to require a lot of effort, and uh, they're going to have to do some things to differentiate it from, 
from other offerings. Why should you download another app store just to download apps? If it's the only way to install some apps, then that makes sense. But that only works if you have really, really major games. The the Fortnites and the Call of Duty mobiles of the world would be reason enough to get people to do this. But for pretty much any other mobile game, I'm not sure that people are going to go through the hassle of installing this, dealing with the Android security settings to allow you to install apps through third-party systems and stuff like that. It's kind of a hassle to be able to do this on an Android device. So I don't know how well this is going to work, but again, very curious to see what Xbox has in mind for this and how well they can execute on that strategy. That's all the news we've got for you this week. So to give a quick update on what is going on in my entertainment center, not too much this week. Of course, some NHL 23, and I'm not going to keep mentioning that. That's just a given at this point, as Richard has reminded me. I did end up playing some costume quests too. I don't know if I mentioned that last week. That's a a fun little uh, role-playing game that's meant more for a younger audience that's built around trick-or-treating and fighting monsters while doing that. It's really fun. Got my nine-year-old into that game. And on the video and TV side, well, I've watched some hockey and some football, of course, but we also finished the first season of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. And everything I said last week, still true. This is a fantastic show, and I cannot wait for season two. My wife was very disappointed when I told her that season one is all I've got right now, and I have no idea when season two is coming, but I have to imagine that it's already been greenlit because it was so, so good. And they spent so much money on this first season that it seems like it would be a waste for them not to do a second season. And that's what's going on in my entertainment center. So if you would like to get a hold of us, send us some listener feedback. There are multiple ways you can do that. We're on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And the website is at DigimediaZone. All the rest of our contact information is over at the website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com. We also like to do this show live on Twitch. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to do that, but hopefully next week when we're both back, we'll be able to do that. That next week will need to be on Wednesday night around 8.30 p.m. Eastern, but we regularly do the show on Tuesdays at that same time. Follow us on Twitter to know when we're going to be online or subscribe to us on Twitch and it will automatically notify you as soon as we start the live stream. Well, that's going to do it for episode 603. I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.